Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Cosmic Christmas, guys. Glad you're here. Before we begin, if there's a small boy here named Luke, your dad's looking for you, just go down to Liquid Kids and uh, you can join the dark side. I'll tell you what, those were the words, uh, you know, Luke, I am your father, that sent a whole generation of young boys into therapy, uh, including myself. But uh, glad you're here. We are doing this kind of fun December series uh, in which we're taking a very fresh look at the Christmas story where we're bringing together both Scripture, the Word of God, and Star Wars to retell the story of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kind of a mashup of Star Wars and Scripture. And uh, although it's inspired by Star Wars, it is grounded in God's Word. If you're just joining us, what we did is last week we opened our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 which kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of Jesus' birth from heaven's perspective. And you can open that up in your Bible or flip in your phone. But Revelation 12 describes the original uh, Star Wars or war behind the stars that took place um, that night when Jesus was born on planet Earth. And it is a story of angels and demons and the dark side and the light battling it out. And I know that was eye-opening for many of you last week. Because at this time of year, let's be honest, most of us normally turn to the Gospel of Matthew or Luke, which presents the typical story 
we see in most nativity displays at Christmas, right? There's Mary and the manger, and Joseph is there, and the three wise men and everything, and there's, you know, little Lord Jesus away in the manger, right? It's silent night. All is calm. All is bright. Yes, on earth, but according to Revelation 12, there was war in heaven. A fierce battle over a baby was breaking out in the spiritual realm. Revelation 12 uh, illustrates this uh, satanic struggle. And if again, to catch you up here, if you were uh, following along last week, there was this woman with a crown of 12 stars on her head who we realized was a symbol for the Virgin Mary, the Hebrew daughter of Israel. She's crying out in pain as she's about to give birth. And suddenly this enormous red dragon enters the picture. His tail sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky. It's a symbol for Satan and his fallen angels. And he crouches before the woman as she's about to deliver a baby boy. But he's born and snatched up to heaven in God's throne. And then suddenly, all hell literally breaks loose. Cosmic combat begins. Here's what Revelation says. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to, let's say this together, where? To the earth and his angels with him. Satan, fallen angels, demonic battle. Merry Christmas, right? I heard from many of you this week, one woman said to me, Pastor Tim, I have gone to church for 50 years I have never heard this side of Christmas. That's because Revelation, its name, it reveals, it pulls back the curtain and shows this cosmic battle between the forces of God and evil, between the dark side and the light. On earth, you have the Virgin Mary in an anguish trying to bring forth life and salvation. But in heaven, you have the deceiver trying to bring death and destruction. So this is Christmas from God's perspective, a cosmic Christmas. Well, today, we're going to pick up in Act 2 of Cosmic Christmas. If you recall, I said, we're going to, I'm structuring the sermon series kind of like a movie script. And last week, we looked at Act 1, what we called the rebellion in heaven, which kind of sets up a conflict. If you think all the movies that you love, there's always, all the epics always have this kind of crisis conflict that set up the story, right? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Who is Obi-Wan Kenobi? Who is this woman in white? You're immediately thrust into this new strange world. In scripture, it's angels and demons. In Star Wars, it's Jedi Knights and Sith Lords. And Act 1 kind of sets the tension and raises the stakes of the conflict and shows us this reality. You and I, according to the Bible, have been born into a world at war. Enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is, according to C.S. Lewis full of darkness and danger. And it's not just science fiction. It's reality, isn't it? We watch that in the news. There are bombings. There are beheadings. There are mass shootings. And why does it often seem like the dark side is often winning? What does explain evil in our world? And Act 1 introduced us to a biblical worldview, a very provocative idea that Satan is actually alive and active in our world. The Bible calls him the father of lies, he is a thief who has one mission, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the enemy of our souls who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And although Satan missed his original target at Christmas, he readjusted his sights on humanity. Verse 17 says this, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman 
and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? Those who keep God's commands. And let's read it together. Hold to their testimony about Jesus. Uh, Newsflash, that's us, right? Which clues us into big idea number two, that spiritual warfare is real. More real, perhaps, than you and I probably imagine. See, we live this life where you're like, I just go about, I go to work, I pick up my coffee, I go shopping, the kids. According to the Bible, as a follower of Christ, you and I live on the front lines of a fierce spiritual battle that's taking place on earth. But our battle, watch, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, according to Ephesians 6. But as a follower of Christ, you don't have to fear Satan or death. Don't be freaking out. Because of the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan is now a defeated enemy. Revelation 12, verse 11 in the middle says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, that is the sacrifice of Jesus, and the word of their testimony. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we actually have the victory. Our weapons against the enemy are not bullets and blasters. They are the same ones used by Michael and Gabriel and the armies of heaven. It's faith in the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of Christ, our praise, our prayer, our trust in God the Father, that no matter what obstacles we face in the world, we don't fight in our own strength, amen? We use what George Lucas calls the force, but Christ followers call faith. It's the Holy Spirit, the power of God flowing through you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, amen? So you take that to heart. This Christmas, no matter what you know, challenges or battles you're facing this December, whether you have a conflict at work or there's a conflict in your family or in your marriage with Christ, you can overcome. You can actually summon the power of heaven through faith in the name of Jesus. That's the backstory of Act 1, the rebellion. But today, we're going to flip the page. We're going to turn to Act 2, the rescue. I wanted to give that to you because if you weren't here, I don't want you to walk into the movie late and be like, what's going on? Today, we're going to look at scripture, how we learned that God's rescue plan for this planet involves sending the most unlikely hero imaginable. God sends a savior to rescue his people in the form of a tiny, vulnerable, helpless little baby. Wah! Aren't you intimidated? No! The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the son of God taking on skin in the form of a living, breathing human being, a baby with lungs, who screams, who, who spits up, who wets his diaper. This is one of the great mysteries of Christianity and one of the greatest miracles. So today, we're going to look at the impact of the incarnation, God's rescue plan for our planet. Rescue really is a central theme of the larger story of God all throughout scriptures. In Colossians 1, the apostle Paul says, give thanks to God your Father. Why? I want to read this together. Ready? For he has, say it together, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, a second chance, the forgiveness of sins. What the Bible tells us is that humanity is in need of saving perhaps now more than ever. <laughs> and God is not just Jesus' father. He is your father. You were created in his image and he loves you deeply. So instead of leaving us here on earth to struggle with Satan, to suffer with sickness, to perish in our sin, God, your Father, says, I'm going to take it on myself to rescue my children, to save you, both now, watch, and for eternity through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So let's talk about Act 2, the rescue of 
Christmas. I showed you last week my book from when I was seven years old, the original Star Wars storybook. That's because uh, my parents wouldn't let me see the movie because it was rated PG. Too much. Not bitter, you know. <laughs> Still recovering, sort of. Uh, I remember reading in the storybook and being entranced, seeing this virginal woman in white who is captured and then held hostage by evil Darth Vader, which in Dutch means dark father. And I remember being like, oh my goodness. And they take her, right? And of course they have her on the Death Star and they're gonna execute her in act two, unless there's a rescue that is led by her brother, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. And like all great epic rescues in a grand story, at first glance, it appears to have little possibility of succeeding. Get out that way. Looks like you managed to cut off our only escape route. Maybe you'd like it back in your cell, your highness. C-3PO, C-3PO! Are there any other ways out of the cell bay? We've been cut off! What was that? I didn't copy! I said all systems have been alerted to your presence, sir. The main entrance seems to be the only way in or out. All other information on your level is restricted. Open up in there. Open up in there. Oh, no. We're doomed. <laughs> is it me or does C-3PO like, seem like this uptight British granny? Oh no, we're doomed. You know, it's always like, we are not doomed, thank God, according to his word. On Christmas, God uh, launches this unlikely rescue mission, cloaking his son, disguising him, not in a stormtrooper mask, but masking him in the flesh to come into our world to rescue humanity from the dark side. Remember this. At Christmas, there are always two stories happening. On earth, a baby is born, a king gets wind of it, and a chase ensues. But as Philip Yancey says, in heaven, the great invasion had begun. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Christmas is the great invasion, and it all begins with a baby. Under a cloak of darkness, in a time of great bondage, the infinite God becomes an infant child, God's son. And the force is strong with this one. So let's look briefly at God's rescue plan, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this term incarnation, I know there's sometimes like in church, you hear about things like atonement, incarnation. We throw these words around. It's very easy to understand. I'll draw on your high school Spanish. Uh, you guys know what the word carne means in Spanish, right? Meat, chili con carne, chili with meat. This is the incarnation, God with meat, okay? God with skin on his bones. That's literally what the Bible says. In the fullness of time, God became flesh. He entered time and space and he made his dwelling among us. I like how the message version of John 1 describes it. It says this, the word became set together, flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. Anybody remember that song, um, What If God Was One of Us? Do you remember that? What if God, yeah, kind of a sucky song. But, you know, but the, the truth is, that's, he was. That's the improbable claim of Christmas. 
that Jesus, God's son, the second member of the Trinity, is 100% divine, but on Christmas, he comes down and becomes 100% human. 100% human, 100% divine. And I want you to think of this. The humility of God, heaven invading earth, and God suffering all the human limitations that you and I experience. The son of God, meaning the one who created the heavens, can't control his bladder. The God who speaks creation into existence by the power of his word can't form his own words. Mama, dad, he came to say it. The God who roared, the God who moves mountains, the God who holds the nations in the hollow of his hand can barely lift his head. Have you seen babies with their floppy heads? They're like, God can't eat solid food. The God who created galaxies is homeless. He is dependent on the love and nurture of an unwed teenage girl, a refugee from the Middle East. Doesn't get much more humble than that. Just stop. Take this in your heart. I want you to compare that with the Old Testament revelation of God. See, in the first half of the story, the Old Testament, the primary emotion when the presence of God shows up is fear. You touch Mount Sinai, you drop dead. You mishandle the Ark of the Covenant, you die. Take a step into the most holy place of the temple, you ain't coming out alive. See, in the first half of God's story, fear was the dominant theme. The law never really worked to draw people close to the Father's heart. But here in the New Testament, the Father devises a different approach. The rescue plan involves taking the humble form of a child in the most vulnerable setting imaginable. The author of life comes down as a baby and nurses at Mary's breast. It doesn't get much closer than that. The infinite becomes infant. And I'm like, why would God do that? Why did God choose that entrance for his son? Why would the Alpha and Omega, the Ancient of Days, invade the enemy's camp disguised as a baby? See, guys, the claim at Christmas is that your God, your creator, entered our galaxy through a virgin's womb so that he could bypass the infection of sin that you and I are infected by. You and I are children of Adam. In other words, we have human fathers. And what that means is we all carry the human stain of sin. We're bent, we're broken by nature. That's why you look at our world and see this. That's why Satan has such an easy time manipulating us, twisting our desires, appealing to our pride. But Jesus was God's only begotten son, meaning he didn't have a human father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born with a sinless nature so that he could be the perfect substitute. Jesus lived the life that you and I were created to live and died the death that you and I deserve. See, the incarnation teaches us two things, two big ideas if you're taking notes today. And the first is this. You and I, we are people in need of rescue. The story of God awakens us to this larger reality of life on earth. You want a reality check? Here's reality. The reality is that right now, you and I are in deep trouble because we were created and designed for perfection. <laughs> Any perfect people here? Quick raise of hands, okay? Get out. Uh, you don't need to be here. You don't even need to be here. We have no way raises their hand because we know we've all fallen short of God's holiness, which is a problem. Because the Bible says our imperfection actually disqualifies us from the very relationship you were created to draw life from. Your soul draws life from your creator, from God, and that's reality. Sin separates us from God. The reality is you and I can't fix the problem. No amount of good deeds, 
uh, best efforts, no amount of charity work, no amount of you know, therapeutic counseling can overcome our brokenness. We cannot save ourselves. We need to be saved from ourselves because we're broken and bent at our core, infected with this sin virus. That's reality. And the reality is, is that if we die in that state, we are cut off forever from our heavenly father. That's called hell. That's what hell is. It's eternal life without God. God is no longer in the picture, casting utter darkness into the cosmos. But the reality is this. As God's child, your father loves you too much to let you spend forever without him. And so God the father sends God the son to rescue you. Jesus entered time and space through a virgin's womb so that he could bypass the infection of sin and become this sinless substitute, a perfect sacrifice to die in your place. See, the reality is this, guys. The cradle of Christmas means nothing unless we understand it led to the cross of Calvary, where Jesus would die a sinner's death 33 years later in our place so that we could live. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that you could become the righteousness of God. You become sons and daughters of God. And he looks accepted again by our Father. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, a second chance, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Thank God. See, it's Christ's sacrifice that set the captives free. I want you to think of all the movies you love. All the great stories at the heart of the rescue, the ransom, the great escape is always a hero's sacrifice. Someone must lay down their life to set others free. That's at the heart of the original Star Wars, A New Hope. Come on, R2, we're going. How's the kids go? Ben? The tractor beam out of commissioner. This is gonna be a real short trip. Okay, hit it! Right before he sacrifices his life to rescue Luke and Leia, Obi-Wan says to Vader, Strike me down and I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I've been practicing that in the mirror all day. You better like that. <laughs> That's exactly what happened on the cross. Satan struck a death blow to Christ's humanity, but three days later, he was raised 
to life by the power of God. And now he has the power to liberate the captives, to set free any man, woman, or child held captive by Satan, sin, and death. See, Star Wars has all the trappings of the larger story. There's an evil empire. There's a daring rescue. There's a heroic sacrifice. And finally, there is a surprise resurrection. See, guys, your story, your story is part of the larger story that God's been writing throughout history. And the stories that you and I love are simply echoes of the eternal. They wake, up us to, they wake us up to the larger truth that salvation always requires sacrifice. Can we say that together? Salvation requires sacrifice. Big idea number two. At the heart of all great stories is a hero's sacrifice. Somebody's got to step up to lay down their life to save those they love. They say, I'll take the place of the person doomed to die. I want you to think of the movies you love, right? Think of your movies, right? Most of them probably are probably epics. And I told you, an epic is defined as a love story set in the midst of a life and death battle where the hero rescues the heroine or saves a nation. And all great epics have a hero or heroine who lays down her life to save the beloved. Here's three examples. These are three all-time epics you'll know very easily, right? Titanic, Ladies Love Leonardo. Braveheart and The Hunger Games. Just take those three. What I have found is that in our home, if Titanic comes on, no matter what my wife and daughter are doing, if they're staying there, working out, they're just like, oh. <laughs> and they would stare, and then after about 20 minutes, they sit, <laughs> and they watch the rest of the movie. Same thing with me. doesn't matter what I'm doing. Hey, let's go out. Is that Braveheart? <laughs> and I sit right down. I will watch that thing to the very end. And then if you know, Hunger Games comes on, we all sit down and watch Katniss, right? But take these three stories, the great epics of our time. Uh, of course, Titanic's the epic love story of Jack and Rose. And it's interesting because, right, Jack is this, comes from humble origins. He's very earthy. And Rose, at first, is kind of proud and snooty. And, of course, eventually, Jack does what? He rescues Rose from the deadness of an arranged marriage and liberates her spirit. Jack! I'm <laughs> fine! <laughs> All right? In fact... If you watch the movie, Jack rescues Rose, not once, not twice, three times. She tries to jump off the ship. He rescues her. Then he rescues her from her evil fiance. And of course, when the ship goes down, he gives his life. He saves Rose by putting her on that piece of wood. He keeps her warm, and ultimately he dies so that Rose can live. At the end of Titanic, if you watch, there's this beautiful resurrection scene, the restoration of all things where everything is made new. Rose is reunited with her one true love. See, salvation always requires sacrifice. Doesn't it, ladies? Think about this. Why does the epic romance of Titanic stir the feminine soul? Because every soul intuitively understands it cannot save itself and desires a greater love to rescue it from death. That's an echo of eternity, the belief that God's love is greater than death. Guys, how about Braveheart? The story of William Wallace in the epic battle of Scotland, right? The story stirs something in the heart of every man. Mel Gibson plays William Wallace, and after his wife and children are murdered, Wallace, actually, it's a historical uh, true story. William Wallace was, was real life. He dedicated his life to defeating the evil empire of, does anybody remember? Longshanks. And Wallace has his group of 12 followers they form this guerrilla army, and he and his disciples defy the evil king. And in that climactic scene, where all the armies of Longshanks against this ragtag bunch of warriors, remember Braveheart? 
Gibson rides across in that famous scene with his sword, and he says, I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? You're oh, I'm going for it today, people. I'm going for it. This is happening. And it's great because some punk in the back says, against that, no, we'll run and we will live. And, and Wallace says, I, fighting you may die, running you live, at least for a while, and dying in your bed many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all of that from this day to then for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take away our lives, but they'll never take away our, everyone, freedom! <laughs> Woo! Man. The ushers are going to pass out blue paint. We're all going to paint our faces blue right now. Come on. <laughs> that freedom had a price, didn't it? It cost Wallace his whole life. The climactic scene of Braveheart is the crucifixion of William Wallace on a bloody cross. And his sacrifice not only inspires his men, it ultimately liberates his people. Scotland is saved and set three through the sacrifice of one, one man. See, salvation always requires sacrifice, doesn't it? Somebody must die in order for somebody else to live. Why does that epic adventure of Braveheart stir the masculine soul? Because every man knows that the ultimate love a guy can have is to lay down his life for his friends. The freedom of Scotland, the freedom of our nation, comes through the self-sacrifice of many heroes who put the salvation of their people above their own personal comfort and safety. And men, your heart's made in the image of God. Your heart has that noble instinct. As a son of the true king, you have that self-sacrificing nobility in you to give your life and fight for the freedom of those you love, your wife, your family, your church. See, the stories all change, but every single one of them draws their power from the larger story of God your father and the sacrifice of his son Jesus. Even the Hunger Games. Any Hunger Game fans here? Okay, yeah. All right. If you are, if you don't know what the Hunger Games is, if you're not a teenager or a mom in your 40s, uh, the Hunger, the Hunger Games is. I'm going to pay for that. I can tell. I know it. They just don't even bother sending the email. Just go with it. All right. The Hunger Games is this dystopian trilogy set in the fictional country of Panem. There are 12 districts of poor people, and every year. Certain children are chosen to participate in basically the Hunger Games, which is a televised death match. It's like reality TV going where it's probably going to end up, right? But this has a female heroine, Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who becomes the savior of her people. What's the igniting event of the Hunger Games? Katniss's sister, Prim, is selected for the death match, and Katniss says, no, Prim, you stay. I'll go. I'll offer my life as what? As tribute, yeah? Because salvation requires sacrifice. And all through the trilogy, you see this. Katniss cares for Rue. She joins forces with Pita. And together, they stand up to the capital's evil dictator, President Snow. And spoiler alert, Katniss not only survives, she rescues Peter. Pita, sorry. <laughs> and the two become husband and wife after bringing down the evil empire. See, every epic is a love story set in the midst of a life or death battle. There are people doomed to die in need of rescue, and until someone intervenes and says, I'll save them, I'll offer my life as tribute in their place so they can go free. Friends, that's the story of Christianity. 
That is the larger story of Christmas. That is your story you're living in. That your creator God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. Amen? That's the gospel. That's where all of history is headed. The reason I talk sometimes with movies and stories is because religion screws it up. People come to church and they think it's about keeping rules. And if I'm not, you know, keeping my nose clean, God must be mad at me. You know what John 3.17 says? For God so loved the world, he didn't send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But to what? Save the world through him. See, salvation always requires sacrifice for someone to live. Someone must die. And in Christ dying, we discover the greatest truth of the universe. God's love is stronger than death. Amen? No fear. This is the great hope of Christmas. On the other side of Act 2, between the bookends of Christ's birth and his death, is the resurrection promise. Eternal life. This is where your life is headed. This is where all of history is headed. Eternal, everlasting life reunited with Father and Son in heaven. See, history is his story. <laughs> you want proof? People say, who cares about Christmas? It's 2,000 years ago. It ignited, that rescue plan ignited a revolution in the hearts and minds of women that has literally changed the course of human history. And you may be here today and you're like cynical. You're like, well, Tim, there's a lot of people who claim to be God throughout history. I'll give you that. There are a lot of people who have claimed to be God like Jesus did, but they never changed the world like Jesus did. History is his story, and it all begins with this baby, born in backwater Bethlehem, who becomes a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, who dies and rises to be king of the universe. God's rescue started this revolution that literally changed the world. I want you to think about this. Think about it. History caps. We know that Jesus was born in the first century under the reign of Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor who took the Greek word gospel and used it for good news about his government. But the Roman Empire was actually very dark, very decadent. Those of you who studied history know. Caesar ruled through terror in military force. He levied heavy taxes on his people, and if you disagreed with him, he executed all dissenters. In fact, the original emperor became so twisted by pride that Caesar declared himself to be God and established worship in his name. So if you lived 2,000 years ago and you woke up in the morning in the Roman Empire, you actually had to say these words, Caesar hi curias, which means Caesar is Lord. The entire world assumed Caesar the emperor is going to last forever his reign, a final solution to world peace. In contrast, no one had ever heard the name Jesus. At that moment, less than one half of 1% of the Roman world ever heard the name Jesus Christ let alone Christmas. Now, be fair. Be fair. Imagine right at that moment, you're a Martian looking down on the first century. Which of these would you predict would survive 2,000 years later? The empire or Christianity? The dark side or the light? Be honest, you probably would not put your money on a group of illiterate shepherds to pass on the news and some illiterate fishermen about some obscure carpenter born in poverty and crucified on the empire's cross. I mean, if that was wishful thinking or local legend, the story would have flickered out. Nobody would believe a story like that. But which of these had the greater power to literally change human history? The empire or Christianity? Listen to me, listen. The reality is 
the rescue of God started a revolution, a revolution so successful that 2,000 years later, we name our children Peter and Paul and call our dogs Caesar and Nero. That's what's left of the empire. That calendar on your phone is divided into BC and AD. And the word gospel is now used to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, not Caesar, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? 2,000 years ago, half of 1% knew the name Jesus, and today 2 billion believers proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord of all on every continent, every country on this planet. Over one-third of the global population are followers of Christ. Well, what about the empire? Dead. Caesar, dead. Jesus Christ, alive, and he is Lord, and he is coming again. That is our faith, amen? Applaud if you're with me. If you believe that, that's your story. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of salvation. And this is a moment for some of you. This is a moment for some of you to step into the story, to say, I believe. If you've never pointed to a moment where you're like, that's when I became a Christian. That's when I was saved. That's when I asked God to forgive my sins, and I knew God became my father at that moment. This is that moment. There is no greater moment in the calendar to become a Christian than at Christmas. Christ is born. Let him be reborn in your heart. If you've had your questions, you've had your doubts, this is that moment. You're going to enter 2016 knowing you've been born again, and God is with you, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and you have this hope. You don't have to wonder what happens when you die. What a remarkable thing. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. We've had dozens of people praying today to receive Christ as their Savior. And so all our campuses, I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads. Let's all do that together. We're going to bow our heads for about 60 seconds. And I'm going to invite you to pray out loud after me. These are not magic words. We're just going to pray a prayer of salvation together. It just needs to be from the heart. And again, I'm going to pray these out loud, and you can pray it after me. But if you're here today and you know you've just never settled the issue of faith, you can know you've been saved once and for all. You can have 100% certainty, sins forgiven. God has saved you. You have the hope of heaven. I'm going to pray these words out loud, and then you can pray them out loud after me. In fact, let's say them all together so nobody feels alone. You ready? Here we go. Say these words. Father, thank you for loving me. For sending Jesus to rescue me. Jesus, I believe you were born sinless. You died on a cross for my sins. You were raised to life so I can live with you forever. Come into my life. I turn from my sin. And I commit to follow you as Lord and Savior all of my days. With all heads bowed, just keep your heads bowed in this moment. Father God, thank you for people who are saying for the first time in their heart, they're saying, yes, yes, Father God. They're coming into the kingdom. They're being born again. That's your Holy Spirit. Again, we're all praying right now. Our heads are bowed. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Our spirit, praise God for you. Don't be ashamed. Just raise your hand. Our spiritual care team is going to fan out, and they're giving you a new believer's kit. It has some, 
a Bible and some information about how to join the larger story of God, just keep your hand raised. Praise God for you. God, I thank you for all these hands at every campus. Look at this. Born-again people coming home at Christmas, God. What a joy. What a joy. What a miracle, Father God. Bless them. Fill them now with your Holy Spirit, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we welcome new believers? That's a really cool thing. That's an awesome thing. This is a great moment for you. You actually never have to wonder, like, am I saved? You always be like, at Christmas, it's when I gave my life to Christ. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, what happened is, is the Holy Spirit, literally, you with birth of Jesus Christ in your heart, he can never be taken away. You are part of God's adopted family forever, and nothing can change that. And you have a role to play. We're going to talk about that. It's not just saved, now wait around for Jesus. God chose you to actually be a messenger, to be a, a herald. You're, you're going to show people what it's like to live with the light and the love of God in a, in a world of fear and hatred and hostility. We're going to talk more about this on Christmas Eve, the return of Jesus Christ. I hope you're coming on Christmas Eve. What I'm going to do is kind of tie everything together with Scripture. We're going to sing Christmas carols. We'll have costume characters at all campus. Here's why we do all this, guys. We want every single person in New Jersey to hear the good news of our Savior. Amen? So before we leave, I've been asked to tell you this. Tickets are going very fast. And so we're handing out reminders to you today. They are completely free. But I've been told this morning, 4,700 tickets have been reserved for Christmas Eve. So for those of you who haven't, the slackers, I'm just telling you, get your free tickets. You can get them online at CosmicChristmas.com. Please try to do that in the next 48 hours. And you can have, you can, we have multiple services and times, but you can uh, register your family and friends. We're giving you this card. Take extras. This is to help you invite folks in your life. Take as many as you need. Christmas Eve really is one of the very best services we've ever had at Liquid each year. And I know many of you are inviting your family and friends. So let me just tell you what you can expect on Christmas Eve. If you look on the back of this, the service is 60 minutes long, a Christmas miracle. A Christmas miracle, praise God. It's kid-friendly. The service is designed with families in mind, so you can bring your kids with you. They can bring a lightsaber if they want. They'll fit right in. We have child care for infant and toddlers at primetime services only. You'll just see that stuff online. But we have a lot of fun surprises in store at every liquid campus, including New Jersey's only live Star Wars nativity. You can actually take a selfie with Han and Leia Chewie and R2-D2, a great reminder of the cosmic combat surrounding Christ's birth. But don't worry, we did not replace Jesus with a Jawa. <laughs> Some things are sacred. We just drew a line. We said no. And then those of you with small children, uh, you can <laughs> after the service, you can say hi to our jolly old stormtroopers and, get ready for it, Darth Santa. And you are, you're going to be able <laughs> to hand your firstborn over to the Dark Lord and take a selfie together. This is, I can't even believe this. I'm looking at this, I'm like, you're, we're gonna take a selfie with, say cheese, everybody. Cheese. <laughs> Obviously, guys, what we're doing is we're using kind of an epic story to introduce people to the greatest story ever told, which is our story as believers. So invite everyone you know, even those who only attend church twice a year, Christmas and Easter, if they're going to hear the Christmas story in a way they will never forget. It's a great tradition at Liquid, so get your tickets at Cosmic Christmas if you haven't already. Sound good? All right, guys, let's stand together. We're going to worship. We're going to thank God for his amazing rescue plan of salvation. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.